Knock, knock, who's there? It is another episode of the Has Been Hoops podcast. No, there's no Luke Kendall. No show today. Disappointing. No, there's no other bloke. Not so disappointed. And no Derek. However, we have threatened to do a podcast while we've been drinking. It's currently 12.30. We started about 10 10 p.m. And we're still here trying to do an intro. It's taken you 30 <laughs> minutes to do a two-second intro. Now this is going really well. We should do this all the time, yeah. this live stuff. And um, we've been at the basketball today. Um, so we thought, you know what? We've probably drank enough. We probably didn't watch enough. And we're probably educated enough to make a few guesses on our podcast. And that's what we're going to do tonight. Um, I'd, look, I'd like to think I watched a little bit. I do too, actually. I've got a, I've got a few opinions, and we can be opinionated from time to time. That's not a bad thing. Um, I should mention that we're also doing this in front of a live audience for the first time. Um, Couldn't kick some, them out. Come, some of the uh, December two crew are here and um, watching us fumble through an intro. Well, watching me fumble through an intro. You've you've done pretty well so far. You haven't said anything. And um, mate, let's let's talk. MBL. Let's talk what we saw today in the Phoenix. Um, the Phoenix beat New Zealand, and I think New Zealand are in a whole world of hurt, and they cannot make the finals from here. Oh, I don't think that's groundbreaking stuff. No, no you've picked but, the second bottom team and not make the finals. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, um, we're big on our opinions. No, you know what? It, we sat, and thanks to Tommy Greer for the tickets, but we sat behind the scorers bench so we got a good look at actually what was going on on both benches and we had a group of us there and it, it was really really interesting to watch the difference in dynamic between the two benches the way the coaches communicated with the teams the way the players responded to the coaches and Modi Mayor has lost the breakers it I've I felt anxious to go on the court and I wasn't even playing. I tweeted it. Did you? Yeah. It, 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 was, it was actually uncomfortable watching how often he blamed players for mistakes, how he, every time a player made an error, he was whipping around, pointing to the next guy on the bench to get in there real quick. And you know what? I, I think a team's personality, a team's culture reflects that of its leader. And it, it looks unsettled. It looks anxious. It looks... Reactive. Um, I just, as we sat there, I, I just didn't feel that, you know, you've got a point guard looking over at the bench and a trailing foreman looking at the bench while their head coach is micromanaging the game or feeling the need to micromanage the game. And it, it was a hard watch. And then you look down the other end and you've got, you know, former, former teammates, Mike Kelly and Sam McKinnon, communicating with their guys on the bench, you know, allowing their players to play more freely. And that felt, and, and clearly there's more, we, we won't get too far into the X's and O's, but that just felt like the biggest difference through the game. And 
as it got closer to the end, I, I didn't have this sense at any stage that the Phoenix were going to lose. I, I just felt that the breakers were rudderless. All right. Obviously, when you lose Will McDowell-White, you lose uh, Cheatham, both really, really, well, probably your two best players, if we're being totally honest. Uh, you've lost those two and a coach that seemingly has lost the group. There's no good outcome there. And New Zealand are just a shell of the what we saw from last year. I think an interesting point is with Modi Mayor, the MBL and even myself warmed up to him when he was a all his antics of carrying on on the sideline when they were winning. When they're losing, uh, the same antics don't work within this group is the best way to put it. And polar opposite on the other side of the bench with the Phoenix and the way that Mike Kelly, uh, the way he interacts with his players, the way that he conducts himself on the sideline. Um, and I'm not saying that the way that Mike does it is always correct as well, but tonight stood out more than ever before how those two conducting themselves and obviously the Phoenix, the way that Mike Kelly does it, uh, seems to have the players' trust where New Zealand don't seem to have. Well, when you've got, and, and you can go back and watch the film, but I don't want to get in the habit of throwing people under the bus, but when you have a coach communicating, you know, why the hell did you mess up? Why the, And he said worse than mess up, clearly didn't say that, but, and then you've got, players going back at the coach, you know, what the, what the hell do you want me to do? Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. And then we, we tapped each other on the shoulder and, and our group was interested in the two young boys in front of us. You know, they must have been 12 or 13 years old doing TikToks of Modi Mayor and saying, imagine playing for a guy like that. How, how much would you hate playing for a guy like that? That's a 13-year-old kid behind the New Zealand bench commenting on how little he would like to play for a coach who treated his players like that. That's, I mean, we we didn't plan on starting the podcast like this, but the more we watched the game through those two boys' eyes and kept an eye on their bench, tell you what, there's a lot that they need to change really, really quickly at the breakers. And I'd also say that their assistants are little mini Modi Mayors which I think when you're an assistant, you need to be different from the head coach. And each assistant needs to be different to bring different aspects for the group together. Um, I guess the big point for the Phoenix is Craig Moller goes down with a pretty serious knee injury, what it looks like. Um, yep. And they need, need to fill a position. Do they keep Daniel Johnson? as a injury replacement or do they make a movement and does the name Ryan Brokoff come back into consideration? I'll answer the first part of that first. Does Daniel Johnson played his last game as a fill-in for Gorjak Gak. Gak tonight? Um, bring Gak back. 
I, I think that's easy. the simple part. Yeah. I think that's an easy one. Um, with regard to Ryan Brokov, um, you know, you actually were the first one. I We don't get in the habit of breaking news on this podcast. It's not what we do, but that was something that you said a long time before he retired and we, we gave a lot of credit to the career he's had, the, the player he's been for the Boomers in the NBA and back at the Phoenix. I don't think we ever really saw the best version of Rowdy um, in a Phoenix uniform, but I'm very, very sure that there have been phone calls made to Ryan Brockoff tonight to, to see what his status is. Um, I'm not sure he knows what his status is. Um, it'll be interesting to see how those phone, but he would have to be top of the list. Now, that's the obvious one. You know, there's no import spot left unless they want to change an import spot, but who knows what they're thinking. Outside that, I'd be calling Jack White and at least asking the question. Um, if he's going to be in a G League team with, with you know, I'm not sure what the plans are of him actually playing NBA games this year. I'd, I'd always rather him say no than assume he can't. But Jack White would be top of my list. Look, Ryan Brockoff hasn't played a game of basketball in a long time. This this season goes quick. Even if he was the guy, um, if it turned out he was allowed to play, um, I still think it would take a month or so before he got into the swing of things. So, What's this space for sure, but they've got a, a, a pretty big decision to make, or at least one decision to make, uh, really, really quickly. A bit because they can contend. They're not there yet. Melbourne are a clear favourite in this thing, but Phoenix are right in that chasing pack. I was speaking with someone after the game tonight, and we were talking about how good Melbourne is compared to every other team in the competition. Do you think it's a foregone conclusion that whoever faces Melbourne in the grand final is going to be a runner-up at this stage? No, I, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Melbourne make the grand final. I, I think it'll happen, but I don't think it's a foregone. Tell, tell me why they wouldn't make it. Basketball's one of those games where there's enough talent in this league that you can get beaten by an individually incredible performance on any given night. It's less likely to happen in a three-game series, but it can happen. I, I, I don't, as much as a record, so yeah, I don't think Melbourne are clear favourites, and I think they deserve to be. I think they've been incredible. I've been around this sport long enough to know that I bet you Dean Vickerman doesn't think they're favourite, and I bet you Dean Vickerman knows areas that they, that they can improve on, and I bet he knows in his heart of hearts if they lose a player like the Phoenix did tonight or like other teams have lost, and I know Melbourne have lost some as well, they're beatable. Um, is it a foregone conclusion? No. Do I think Melbourne are favourites? Yes. Um, the thing that's been most impressive with Melbourne, I think, has been the test of their depth. Um, they've lost Matthew Delavadova for periods of time. They've lost Ian Clark. Uh, JLA wasn't there at the start. Luke Travis has been out. You see guys like Flynn Cameron, I think he's the second highest rated uh player in the league when it comes to one of the statistical categories of performance. I think he's been great. Um, you know, even guys who, who come in like Kyle Bowen has been really, really serviceable. And he's had his moments where he scored the ball. He does a good job on the defensive end. I, I think yeah, that... I think Kyle, that, Kyle Bowen does have the ugliest jump shot in the NBL, by the way. Like, 
I feel like I've drank enough that I can say that at this stage. But <laughs> you know, that, any, that any, any, any shot that goes in looks good to a head coach. Um, but I think it's been their depth that's been really impressive. It hasn't hasn't necessarily just been their top end talent, but they just they they come at you for forty minutes, and you need to be locked in every minute of the game to beat Melbourne United. I think Melbourne are the clear favourites at this stage, but a lot can happen. The team that shot to second on the ladder, the Perth Wildcats. Um, there was. Not that long ago, a narrative about JR as a coach, a narrative about the Wildcats as a team, um, even a lot of publicity about Hutchie and SEN. They've put together a nice little run right now. Um, but I'm going to double down on my Dallas Fool's Gold. Perth are Fool's Gold, are they? I believe Perth might be Fool's Gold. Bryce Cotton's Fool's Gold. I think Bryce Cotton is a hell of a player. Um, but I, I, I still, I'm not there yet in believing that this is the the Wildcats that you could never discount from years gone by. And the reason that I say that is that the de- defensive side of the ball is still, well, you know, I know, that when you get to a playoff level, that the defensive side of the ball is the thing that wins championships. Do you believe they have the attributes defensively to contend for a championship? I'll preface my answer by saying that I don't think the ball has a defensive side and you've changed by saying that. Um, but I preface your change with my change of saying, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> We'll cut that part out. No, probably. we won't. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I don't think that. No, I, I don't think they, they can genuinely consider themselves a championship contender yet. But they sit second, and they have Bryce Cotton. So to go back to the argument about United, there has to be a world where Bryce Cotton has forty-five a game for two nights in a row and, and make them able to beat anyone on two consecutive nights or two consecutive games. So, no, I don't trust that they'll do it. Can they? Sure. I, I, I think do you think Bryce Cotton could score 45 points in consecutive games versus Melbourne United's guards? Yes. I think I, I, think I don't he can. Think, I don't think he can. Okay. It's unlikely, but sure. Um, I, I, they're in that chasing pack. But again, it's, I mean, who stands out? I mean, they're there with the Phoenix. They're there with Sydney have been underwhelming for the last month. And I don't think, and we haven't spoken enough about them and we we won't do it tonight, but I'm really interested to see what Sydney look like up until their game on Christmas Day. I think we'll have a really good, clear understanding of the Kings by then. But it's interesting watching them as you watch United and, and, and you marvel at their depth you watch Sydney and it's almost like they've got too much and it's like they've got to narrow or shorten their rotation and get down to who their key seven and a half or eight players are. I don't think the team knows that yet. And, um, yeah, DJ Hogue's been fantastic, but and he's going to continue to get better at his, as he's reintroduced. But I, I still think they're the most obvious choice to challenge Melbourne. 
you know, the, the Phoenix, I, I, I think Tasmania are there. I, I don't think any other team is. And I, if you looked at it right now, Perth would probably be one of the top four teams in the league all of a sudden on the back of Bryce Cotton. I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, Adelaide. Oh. That's all I say. Go ahead. That's, <laughs> I, you talk about New Zealand being rudderless and you know, I know they're not the bottom two out of Adelaide and, and Illawarra are, but Adelaide are lost and Adelaide don't look like they have a direction. They don't look like they're buying in. It's it's a really tough watch. And I don't think with the roster they have on paper, they should lose a game of basketball by 30-plus points to anyone in this league. Uh, I mean, it, it's a tough one. It's it, They're not a small-budget team. They're a team that's invested in winning and they're so far off winning consistently. And the fact that they're able to go and get wins against teams like the Phoenix show that it's in there somewhere, but it's just not consistent. And oh, the, the, the jungle drums are beating for CJ really, really, really loudly right now. You know, they're coming back from the FIBA break. I think there was an expectation to see a slightly different Adelaide. They saw it. But it was slightly worse to a really bad version already. Yeah. Um, Adelaide's sort of been a shit show from the beginning. Fire and import before the start of the season. No replacement until DJ comes in. DJ's your number one guy. I think DJ's a hell of a basketball player. I don't think he's a number one guy in the NBL team. And that's probably reflective of where Adelaide is at currently. Uh, they have a plethora of guards. Um, they've probably got a bit of a shortage on the front end between Wiley, Humphreys, and I really like Isaac Humphreys as a player, but I'm counting down the days until he's not available because that's what the last couple of seasons have proven to us as far as his durability. Um Kieran Galloway's would rather pass a kidney stone than pass the ball to his teammates. There is, there's just so much. You're pretty happy with that one, aren't you? No. Okay. Well, no, well, the reality is, is that Adelaide are just struggling as a as a club. And no, um, I mean, they're, they're so far off. And I, I think the the interesting part with them is not what happens on the floor now; it's what happens off the floor. I, I think there's going to be change. What that is, whether it's coaching, whether it's personnel, that's. But I mean, I've, I think that last season that we had at the Melbourne Tigers, when we were expected to win more than what we did, and that snowball effect of the last season at the Melbourne Tigers, your last season playing, the one we made the semi-finals and lost in Game Three. No, 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 you coached that game. Well, that was the last yeah. season of the Melbourne Tigers. No, the last season that we you played, played in. Right. Your last season, Sam McKinnon's last season. Yes. We had high expectations. And a lot, lot of injuries. And a lot of injuries. And it just sort of snowballed into the attitude of the team. And, I mean, we lost a couple of games by 20-odd points that season as well. <clears throat> and everything seemed too hard 
at that stage. And I feel like for Adelaide, everything seems too hard for them. Um, and they need to find small joys in winning again, or small joys in finding actions that lead to winning. But I don't even see joy within their group right now. And I, th I think that's, that's the hard watch for me is they, they're just bad. There's no other way to sugarcoat it. Another really, really hard watch and, and another player, an individual player this time that doesn't look joyful at all is Aaron Baines. Um, I watched his game and, and Brisbane had a good win against the Cairns, Taipans in Cairns. But, yeah, you, you see Baines, for someone who's been around the game as long as he is, trying to enforce the fact that he's big and he's strong against smaller players unnecessarily. You can be big and strong and still play in your cylinder. You can play within legal offensive post-up positions. You can play without moving on your screens, but he's feeling the need, it seems, to inflict even more physical impact onto the game so unnecessarily. And the opponents are in his head, the crowd's in his head, the fact that he felt the need, you know, the, the, the thumbs down and the, the grab his singlet and point on the way out of the court after he got a little knock to the head and didn't see at the end of the game. But I'm, I'm, it's a really interesting watching outside of just looking at Aaron Baines. Is it for a guy who in many people's mind and mine included, thought should have still been in Boomer's contention for the last World Cup to give them that big physical presence, is the third best centre on an NBL roster that's not doing fantastically well at the moment. I've got Tyrell Harrison as playing better than him, and I'd be investing in Rocco Zakarski more and more and more. I think he's demonstrated incredible touch around the rim. He's high up the glass just in the game against Cairns. I, I thought he was really impressive and actually was surprised that he didn't play more minutes than what he did. But, I mean, you're probably looking at it differently. How do you see Aaron Baines and where he's at with his career and performance right now? I think it's been a rough start to the season for Baines. I actually quite enjoyed what he was doing at the start of the season, but he's definitely on a downward trajectory right now. I think... Playing against Cairns in Cairns after that was the game that got him suspended for five games made him overthink his reactions to how everything was going to... I played in Cairns for two years. The, the crowd there are unforgiving. Um, they, I mean, shit, they still said they fucking hated me six months into me playing for them because I'd played for other clubs beforehand and that's just the way that they are as far as that goes. And for what happened with Baines and Latman and what happened between Baines and Forty, you knew that the Cairns faithful were going to pile on the pressure onto Baines. Did he respond in the best way possible? Nope. Um, was it expected how he would respond? Yes. And I think people that know... Bainesy well enough would have probably expected that's the response that they would have got. Um, but I will always pivot back to where our conversation was a couple weeks ago that 
there's probably more to the story than what the public know. And first and foremost, you just hope that he's okay. And that's the stance that I will stay on yep. with that. As, as will I. Uh, worth mentioning that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the other big fella there that has been playing increasingly well is uh, Rocco Zakarski. And I, I sent you a message, and I know you've had a little bit of time to think about it, but if you look at Alexander Saar, who is projected at the moment in most on most people's NBA draft boards, mock draft boards, to be the second pick in the NBA draft. He's a year and a bit older than Rocco. Mm-hmm. If you just for a second consider what his ceiling what might be, how close to Alexander Saar's ceiling is Rocco Zakarski's? Um. I think it'd be foolish to try and say that they're the same player, same type of player, first and foremost. Um, talented bigs don't grow on trees every day. And I'd say that Rocco's ceiling, if Saar is a number two pick currently, then Rocco could be a number one pick in the future. Do you think okay. that Rocco's a cast can be number one pick in the draft? If if we're going off what so you um, so you hang on so you think Zakarski could be better than Saar? Yes, I do, and for the simple simple fact once again, not comparing likeness no, no, for likeness. So, so, so I'd say but I'm, for for a big guy that can move like he can, has a shot blocking ability that he does, has a catching ability which for a center is a huge deal to be able to get out of your zone and make difficult catches to be able to finish around the rim like he does, um, to be able to, I think he defends at a good enough level where there is room for improvement for him to be better at an on-ball level. I think he could be a number one pick. Without knowing whoever else is out there in his draft class. Sure, and and maybe forgetting forgetting the number, I, I had a conversation. I'll keep it private for now, but with someone who knows very much what they're talking about, and I feel that Rocco's ceiling is certainly a really important cog of a of an NBA competitor, like an NBA contender. Um, I do. I will say as well. Sorry, his attitude is the right. There you go. I was about to say I, I, the biggest thing out of all the skill stuff, and Rocco's a pure five. Um, I still think Sars trying to figure out what he is. He's, he's like a poor man's Victor Wembanyama. He's got a, he can shoot it okay from the outside. He can handle it okay on the perimeter. Not great, but he still needs to actually figure out what he is. The one thing about Rocco is he knows. Rocco, he knows exactly the type of player he is. The, the absolute key difference in Rocco's favour as opposed to Alexander Saar is I've never seen Rocco back down from a contest. I've seen Saab back down from plenty. From physical contests, he avoids going to the rim. He doesn't roll hard on pick and roll. Rocco will do that knowing he's going to get hit, knowing that he doesn't have the capability physically to handle that yet, yet still does. That's really, really impressive for me. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't have him probably quite as high as an number one or two pick, but I certainly have him as a potential, let's call it a lottery for now, but someone who can really impact a successful NBA team. Um, Staying on the NBA for a moment, there there was a conversation that went around during the week 
And a lot of people had a lot of opinions when the NBL announced it was going to not allocate positions to All-Stars this year. And there were so many people that said they need, you know, three guards, two bigs, smalls and bigs, whatever it might be. Piss off. If you're a big, be good enough to be an All-Star. It's not that hard. Don't expect to be handed a spot because of your position. Be better than the guards. Be have that positive impact in your game. I mean, if they're gonna, if five guards are the best five players in the league, and then the top five vote getters in the MVP race, great, give it to them. And if you're a big, don't complain that bigs don't get picked in the All Star game. Be better. It's not that hard. I mean, look at the current NBA. Landscape of Jokic, Embiid, Giannis, Giannis, um, go through or Giannis, big, either one. Big, big, bigs are dominating. Yeah. So, for the people who say it's not fair on the bigs, I'd love to see the NBL trend that way in the next few years, and maybe there are more. Imagine that. Imagine five bigs making the team, and no one can bring the ball up the floor in a game. That'd be, I'd, I'd, that'd be hilarious. My my only concern. And this is my only concern with it, that with Australian sport, which is not always educated uh, with how they go about their business, that it turns into a Brownlow medal count where every midfielder wins it. I don't want to see every single guard I, I understand but, what but, you're but saying. That's different in basketball because all five players run to each end of the court every single position. I haven't read the article. Who's voting on this? Well, it's the same. Well, it's the nominees are made by select media uh, people around the game. The votes are then made by the coaches, I believe. So the coaches in the end, as they have in the past, and the captains... Coaches and captains. ...get the final vote based on the nominations from a group of selected media and people around the game is my understanding. Yeah. We'll see. Um, Could we get to a point where selected non-biased media could make the call on that? We should. Can I tell you when I was head coach? Because, because my feeling is as a captain, as a coach, there's going to be certain individuals that you don't like. Yeah, emotion gets involved. And Absolutely. emotion gets involved and then your vote is skewed from Absolutely. what it is where I'd rather have a non-biased... I've done that. I mean, I've done MVP votes in whiteboard marker because someone needed them in two minutes. I didn't even look. It's not the right way to do it, but if they need them two minutes after I've just given my talk to the players after a game... I'll write down as best I can and I've been told I've got to allocate 10 votes and with a maximum of five. Okay, here you go. Here's your sheet. And it's in red whiteboard marker and it's the least professional system I've ever known. Um, let me think about it over the weekend and get it to you on Monday when I've watched the tape and reevaluated and had a proper look. That would be more like it. I hope that that's changed like that. But, but you're right, I've, I've heard stories over the years of coaches who don't like players or, in fact, love players and want to give them votes even when they're on an opposition team in the absence of others who've played better. When I say unbiased media, as I'm thinking about it right now, 
I'd love for the three commentators that did that game to vote on the spot. Make it public. And make it public. And then, have, well, you probably can't make it public because everything's betting based now. But because every game is telecast, have the three commentators make their three votes as to what it is. Unlike AFL where the umpires do it, because if the umpires did ours, I'm pretty sure it'd be the same as their decision-making, which is god-awful at the moment. So I wouldn't want that. Commentators, three, two, one. Three commentators have their vote. This is another good reason not to have current players commentating the game as well, which I, I don't like um, as a point of view. But I think that would be the most unbiased way to go about it and I know some people might jump up and down because they do call the NBL the NBL for the Melbourne Basketball League because all the commentary is based around Melbourne but it would be a good way to go about it in my opinion. While we're on that um, off the top of your head we, we, we chatted earlier on in the week and there's been a lot of conversation we've seen enough of the league with the seasons in and your MVP leader, while we're on this thing, if we if you were to vote for an MVP candidate right now, a lot of talk around Chris Golding, a little bit of talk about Alan Williams, Mitch Creek, Jalen Adams, Bryce Cotton. Who would if, if the season ended today, who's your most valuable player in the NBL? Oh. I, I don't I, think there's I, a standout. I know that. Yeah, I'd say there's no standout, but. Um... think the recency bias would say Bryce Cotton because his last five, six games has been unbelievable. But who's had the best season to date? I don't think that... I couldn't even put my... Maybe Jalen Adams. Maybe. So, see, tell me this. So, so why isn't it Chris Golding? And I, I know you'll line up the numbers and you'll say Chris is scoring three points a game less than... and couple of assists less than, but he is the best player on clearly the best team in the league. I, and uh, and, and I've, I've always said, and if you've listened to other podcasts I've done, and we did one a couple of years back, we've always agreed on, sorry, well, I've thought and you've agreed that however deep Melbourne United is, whoever they pay to bring into the team, whatever imports they bring in, whether they've got you know MVP type centres like JLA or... Uh, Jock Landell, whoever it is, Melbourne United go how Chris Golden goes. And he's, what is he, 35 years old? Yep. And he's shooting the ball as well as he ever has. Yep. He knows when to defer and let his other teammates have their moments. But I'll tell you what, when the game's on the line, everybody knows where the ball's going. So for me, just for that reason, and it's not statistically based, a little bit like when you evaluate Damien Martin, mm-hmm. Chris Golding's my MVP this year so far. Can I counter that with... That also feels like recency bias because at the start of the season, Matthew Delvadova was the best player on Melbourne United's team. And then he got injured and then Chris Golding was able to pick up the slack and then do more. I, I, believe, I still don't think United felt like Delhi's team. Not even at the start of the season no. with what Delhi was doing. No. I disagree with that. I think Delhi was the best player on the best team for the first until he got his concussion. And I think Chris Golding has taken that mantle. And now recency bias would say that Chris Golding would be the MVP because he is the best player on the best team. 
However, I would argue it wasn't that long ago that Delhi was the best player on that team. We agree to disagree. Um, I don't think we need to touch on the NBA. We, we, we've, we've got plenty of time for the NBA unless you've got anything that jumps to mind off the top of your head. Other than, um, other than my Orlando Magic at 13 and 5. and 14 I sent, and 5. I, I sent you a, a message just saying if the season was to stop today, I've absolutely nailed the East with... You did. With my predictions. Order all out of the place, but you got the top eight. Yeah, and I think outside of two, the order was pretty close as well. The West, dog's breakfast, terrible, shithouse. But that's, a, but that's the West. And the only thing I'd say is Minnesota is a clear standout winner as far as they are doing better than what I anticipated them to do. And the reason that they're doing better is their defensive capabilities uh, has gone through the roof compared to next year, uh, last year. They're, they're just different with, with shared experience now. You don't get Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert. It's one thing preparing for that. Mm-hmm. It's another thing getting that in real life. And if you don't get that every day, it just lowers percentages. Especially it, now that they're clicking, they're, they're understanding each other a little bit better. It's it's funny. Um, when I played at the Taipans and talking to Aaron Ford, I'd always make the suggestion that the Taipans needed to be different in the fact that if Melbourne United or the Sydney Kings were to get an import point guard and the Cairns Taipans were to get a point guard, you would assume that Melbourne and Sydney would get a better point guard for the more money that they've got to spend on their players than what Cairns did. And so there was an opportunity to think outside the box and be different. What Minnesota has done has been very different to anything that we've seen in the last couple of years. And uh, I didn't think it was going to work, but what we've seen this season, uh, it's been quite good. The, the, the best two examples I know of that, uh, when the Hawthorne Footy Club here in the AFL won an AFL premiership out of turn with their rolling zone. Mm-hmm. It, it, I don't think for a second they're the best team in the AFL, but they were different. Yep. And when my Western Bulldogs won the premiership in 2016, it wasn't necessarily that. They certainly weren't the best team in it all season. But they, they tomboyed. But they were different. They had that little hand flick in close, get out in the space game. They were different. But um, it's going to be interesting to see when people start adjusting them in soda, scout better. Um, oh, t- uh, we will, uh, we're going to leave it there. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll cover some more NBA next week to the crowd. We've done a successful job of putting them to sleep in our first live studio audience show. They're all out. Uh, to everyone, thanks for listening. If this is on air, we haven't messed it up too badly. If it's not, well, only we know that. We'll talk to you next time. Yeah.